Well, just a little light reading from Jesus this morning. Uh, I don't know why it is that uh, right before I go on my vacations, there's always seems like the gospel passage is particularly pointed. You know, I think it's because the Lord wants to make sure that I'm, I'm well focused as I head off into vacation time. I'm going to be uh, hiking with my brother. This is, if you've been around servants for a while, you know, this is that week where I go into the wild with my brother, Zach, brave man that he is to follow me into the, into the woods. And we spend a week just sort of uh, simplifying our lives. Where's water? Where's food? Where are we going to pitch the tent? That's basically all we, those are the three, only three questions that we have to ask ourselves uh, the rest of the, the way there. So we do a section of the Appalachian Trail. This year we're going to tackle the sections in Maryland and in West Virginia. Not because we've, we've, we've finished Virginia, but because we're tired of Virginia. Because it's so darn big and long. Um, also, if you get close to me, you'll notice that I have not shaven. This is not my fault. I subscribe to a razor club and they did not mail my razors. But they're coming. They'll probably get here on Tuesday while I'm already in Maryland. It's also a great way of reminding you that I'm going to be gone all this week. So if you have any needs, Father James will be the person to call. And uh, I'm grateful for James and his ministry among us. So. Well, I only have three questions to ask this week as I hike. Where do we get water? Where do we get food? And where do we pitch the tent? But Jesus has two questions for us. This very famous passage. If you're one of those folks who likes to say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really say that. Well, I got news for you. This is something that all the Gospels record multiple times. This is key to understanding the, the teachings of Jesus. Of course, you know, I, I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. But there are some that would try to skirt around certain hard verses. And this is clearly one of them. When Jesus tells us that we are to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. Um, so we're going to take it on. We're going we're gonna to go straight at it, as you would probably expect. But I think you'll find, and I hope to bring in uh, the Zechariah passage at the end, because I think there's some real jewel there in what um, Zechariah prophesies in our Old Testament lesson that Bill read to you. Well, first of all, just to set the stage for what Jesus is doing here, Jesus has been praying and he he feels as if God has called him. He, he knows that the Lord has called him. The Father has called him to, to ask this question of his disciples. Who do men say that I am? And it's surprising maybe to us, but some think that he is the resurrected or reincarnate uh, John the Baptist. That John the Baptist has come back from the dead. Some think that Jesus is Elijah. Some think that perhaps he's one of the other uh, Old Testament prophets that sprung back to life. Isn't that interesting? Uh, they, they don't have a problem believing that it's possible that somebody can be raised from the dead. Even somebody like Elijah that's been dead for hundreds of years. There's a, all sorts of uh, spirituality floating around first century. We're not, we're not the only ones who deal with all sorts of spiritual thought and, and people having their own ideas about God and about even the person of Jesus, who he is. So then Jesus asked the first pointed question. Who do you say that I am? 
And this is the question of all questions, I would suggest to you. This is, this is the question that every woman, man, child, every person on this planet must grapple with. Who do you say that Jesus is? I'm told even if you go to uh, India and you go to a Hindu temple, there is among all the various uh, images of God and all the pantheon of gods, there is a picture of Jesus that you will find. Even in India. Who is Jesus? Peter is bold to give the answer for the disciples as he does oftentimes. And what does Peter say? You are the Christ of God. Christ being the Greek word for the, the, the Hebrew idea of Mishiach, of Messiah. Uh, the one who is going to come in and usher in the kingdom of God. God's anointed one. Greater than King David, the former greatest of all the Mashiachs, the former famous uh, Messiahs. That, but this, this Messiah that's to come will, will usher in the kingdom of God. And, and, and so in Greek, it's Christ. In, in Hebrew, it would be Messiah. But Jesus says, yes, you're right, but I need you to be quiet about that. Good answer, Peter, but... Don't say that to anybody else. Why? Well, because Jesus knows that the, the, the minute that, that he admits to being the Messiah, there are going to be messianic expectations of overthrowing the, the Roman Empire and conquering their enemies, doing all the things that, that Zechariah talks about at the very end of that Zechariah passage where it says that, that by the sword all of the enemies of God will be thwarted. So Jesus says, all right, right, you're, you're right, but keep it quiet because you don't fully understand what you mean by Messiah. And then Jesus begins to explain the kind of Messiah that he will be. Strictly charged them, commanded them, tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Can I tell you how important it is as we walk out into this broken, hurting world, this, this modern world that uh, is just sort of, you know, it's come to the end of itself and is not really sure what to believe and so we'll just spend our lives in our smartphones, <laughs> escaping as best we can. To say that we have a God who didn't just stand outside of the pain and the troubles of our world, but has entered into it and suffered himself. That he's not king by conquering his enemies, but by dying for his enemies. People are hurting. We were at Grace Marketplace last night and did our outreach service. Grace Marketplace is a, a one-stop homeless shelter on the east side of town. And we were there and, and it was uh, just mind-blowing to me among all these people who are in such need. But we didn't go empty-handed. We went with the person of Jesus Christ, the suffering Messiah, the one who was willing to lay down his life for them. I was talking about grace and, 
And, and, and here we are, you know, grace is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And to be able to talk about our Lord who suffered for us, who was rejected for us, who was beaten and tortured and ultimately killed. This is good news to those who are hurting and feel rejected. For those who themselves are suffering, that that our God is a God who suffers with us and for us. But it's hard to wrap their minds around. Even at the crucifixion, the disciples still don't quite understand it. So Jesus says, be quiet until you do. Because yes, you're right, Peter, I am the Messiah, but I'm a different kind of Messiah. I'm a Messiah who suffers, who lays down his life. Friends, this is the gospel. This is what we get to bring to the people of the world. I've been, I've been feeding you lines from Leslie Newbegin, famous bishop to India uh, in the last century. And Newbegin talks about the fact that, that this, is, this is what we bring. It's not that the church, that, we're, that we do things better than everyone else, that we're, that we're more efficient or are necessarily more loving or that we're, you know. None of that is true in a, lot, in a lot of cases. But what we bring is the person of Christ. That is our gift to the world, to bring Christ to the world, to present the Savior of the world, the one God who became man and died on the cross. And this is what Jesus is expressing to his disciples. Yes, you're right, but I'm a suffering Messiah. First, we must grapple with who is Jesus? And if, in fact, he is Messiah, he is the suffering one, he is God who was made man, then that changes our whole lives. But then listen to what Jesus says. If you would follow me, he goes on, you too must take up your cross. So Jesus talks about his own cross, and then he talks about the cross of those who would follow him. It's not the same cross. It's not a literal cross, but it is a, a, a figurative cross, a, a bearing of a burden, a bearing of a weight. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Well, first of all, let's just stop there. Let's just say, if you would follow me, Jesus says, the only way for any of us to follow Jesus is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrate Pentecost, reminding each other that God says, if I go away, I will send you another comforter, and he will come and he will teach you all things. He will empower you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He'll do more and more things. He'll convict the world regarding sin. He'll, he'll, he'll reveal Jesus to people who don't yet know him. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit that we can even begin to be his followers. It's a work of grace in us that the Spirit is able to empower us to actually be able to attempt it. And I'm looking at a group of people that, I don't know all of you, but I know most of you, and I know that that Holy Spirit is at work in you and that you are seeking to follow after Jesus just as I'm seeking to follow after Jesus. So what does Jesus say? Nice gentle words to send us out for a summer break, right? 
Deny yourself. Well, for me, that's pretty easy because, you know, I'm aware of how, how self-centered I am. I don't know about you. Some of you seem pretty, you know, pretty giving, but I'm pretty self-centered. And I tend, you know, I, I pick up the picture, the photograph, the group photo, and the first person I look for is myself. Was my hair looking good? You know, was my belly sticking out or did I suck it in properly? Maybe that's not you, but that's me. So to deny myself fits really well with my understanding of, of how, what the sinfulness of my life, why I need Christ to go to the cross for me, because I know the self-centeredness of my life. I know how I avoid pain. Look for the easy way. Look for ways to build myself up, to be seen well in the face of others. Ah. Deny yourself, Jesus said. Well, that's just getting at the, the very core of our, our self-centeredness, the, the fact that we are self-centered, that we, we have to fight back against that. Now, that's not to say that we, we don't take care of our families, that we don't go to work. Obviously, we put food on the table. We have to do our jobs. We, we do them as well unto the Lord as we can. We, we have to meet our needs. God has graciously given me this amazing van out in the, out in the parking lot. To, to, to drive Jody around. You know, I'm her Uber driver these days. And, and it's this amazing car, and I, I don't feel worthy. I don't even have to put the key in the ignition. I just walk up to it, and it unlocks. And I push the button, and it turns on. It's got like a camera that shows me all around the car, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is um, um, amazing. But how easy I can become absorbed with creature comforts, right? When I climb into my 2006 Civic and the engine roars and, you know, the car shakes and it smells like damp, wet because it leaks, you know, then I'm like, okay, this is good for me because I, you know, this this gets at my my self-centeredness. But we've always got to be, we've always got to be aware of it. And Jesus said, you're, you're going to have to, if you're going to follow after me by the power of the Spirit, you're going to have to begin to deny yourself. You're going to not be so focused on yourself because that's the natural tendency of every human being. But then he goes on to say, and take up your cross. Now, this is interesting because I think, you know, I've preached this over and over again, but perhaps the reason the Lord makes me continue to preach this passage, it feels like I preach it eight to ten times a year. But maybe it's because I don't know that I've ever fully grasped the, the, the specific thing that Jesus is calling us to here. When he says to take up our cross, I think oftentimes we think of that, that sort of that uh, colloquial expression, that's my cross to bear. You have a health problem, you have a disability, you have a struggle, you have a child that has a learning disability, or you have um, an elderly parent you're caring for, or you have a job that is particularly hostile and it's hard for you to work there. That is your cross to bear. But you know what? I don't think that's actually what Jesus says. I mean, the Lord does comfort us in those things. He does give us strength in those things that we're to bear. But I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about. When he says take up our cross, I believe he's talking about the burdens we, we voluntarily take on for Christ himself. 
In other words, it's the, it's the way we spend our time and our money and our, um, um, our talents to work and minister in his name. It's the places where we proclaim him, even where we might be rejected or ridiculed or perhaps even persecuted for that decision. The more I, I study and, 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 and pray through Jesus' command that we would take up our cross, the more I'm convinced that this, in fact, is the very ministry of our lives. It's where we voluntarily choose to pour ourselves out for Christ. Jesus says, yes, we have to be always fighting against self-centeredness. That's, that's the negative, but on the positive, you know, there's the things we ought not to be doing, but then there's the things we ought to be doing. And the work of ministry of those things. Now, I don't know what your cross to bear is. I don't know what ministries specifically God's calling you to. It'd be presumptuous of me to, to assume that I know the cross that you're to pick up. You know, there's, there's an expression around the church that says, you know, Alex loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's it's not true. I don't know what God's plan for you in your life is. But my job as, as, as a minister of the gospel is to present to you things that could be your ministries. That might be the cross for you to bear. But that's between you and the Lord. But the Lord has called us each to these things. He's called us to, to pour ourselves out in ministry. In ministry to children, in ministry to youth, in ministry to the poor, in ministry to the homeless. In ministry to the body, through our, sh- our shut-in ministries or, or, or caring for our, our infants. I don't know where that cross is. I don't know where that cross is out in the world. Where you're called to proclaim Christ. But Jesus says, if we would be his followers, by the power of his Holy Spirit, then we would not only deny ourselves, learn to push back against our self-centeredness, but that we would proactively take up our cross and seek to find those things that God calls us into. Now Jesus gets into some hyperbole in this, and sort of to flesh out this, uh, this idea for us of, of what it means to deny ourselves and what it means to take up our cross. He says, what would it profit a man to gain the entire world and to lose his soul? Now it would be impossible to gain the whole world. Although there are some people that, are, that have tried pretty hard, right? I think of some world conquerors. I can think of some, you know, some robber barons. You know, we can name a few people. Uh, some modern people who tr- seem to be sort of trying to gain the whole world. But Jesus says, what would, it, what would it matter to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? I think of Orson Welles. This is for anybody... Well, for, some people know Orson Welles, famous actor a couple of generations ago, and there's that movie Citizen Kane. And if you haven't seen this movie, you, you, you got, it's like one of those cinematography, you know, masterpieces. And Orson Welles, I think it's the director as well as the main actor. And at the end of the movie, he's surrounded by all of his wealth, but he is completely alone. He's crying out. Jamie probably knows what he's crying out. Do you remember the word he's crying out? Yeah, at the end of the movie, what's he call? He's, he's crying out some, some, some word, and he's just completely alone. 
Rosebud. 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 What would it what would it gain to what would it gain the whole world and to lose our soul? But the same is also true. Jesus is pointing out by this use of hyperbole, what would it mean to lose yourself to gain the whole world? You see, Christ calls us to take up our cross, to pour ourselves out in ministry to others that they may know and that the riches of Christ's mercy and grace might be known to them. Now, for years, I have struggled with this idea of election. Have you heard of this this doctrine of election? And uh, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters really work on this really hard, this idea of predestination and free will and and who is is elected and who is not elected. And and I just, just, last week, I I just have to share this with you because I I think it fits in here with this idea of being poured out for ministry. The, Leslie Newbigin says that, that election is not about privilege, but about responsibility. Years ago, um, one of the guys I was discipling said, I don't like, why does, why does God pick Jacob and not Esau? Jacob's a jerk. Esau's a jerk. Why does Jacob get picked and not Esau? And I'm like, I have no idea. That is a great question. I have no idea. Election is the answer. But it's, it's, it's God's favor. It's God's grace poured out on Jacob. But not so that Jacob can put it in Esau's face and say, ha ha, I'm privileged, I'm special. But because Jacob then has the responsibility of blessing Esau. And last week in my class, I began to think about this idea of election. I think it, it, it makes everything change in your head if you if you stop thinking about privilege but about responsibility paul is by grace not from his horse blinded and has the revelation that jesus in fact is is the son of god and that that in fact he's been persecuting jesus when he tries to kill the followers of jesus and 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 paul in that moment is elect he is one of the elect So that then he has now the responsibility of going forth and proclaiming. Just, just spend the week thinking about that, you know. The Jewish people are called by God. They have salvation revealed to them. But not so they can put it over everyone else, but so then they would be a, a tribe of priests and ambassadors and those who would bring the light of Christ to the world. We are elect. We are chosen. We know this gospel. And so the call is then for us to make him known. Let me just have you turn with me or if you or listen if you don't want to turn to Zechariah chapter 12 that that Bill read to us. I love this. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace 
and pleads for mercy so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and they weep bitterly over one who weeps over a firstborn. That's Jesus, you guys. When they look on the one whom they have pierced, we are those who the Spirit of God has poured out on us that we would understand that Christ died for us. And, 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 and what, the, what Zechariah says is that the weakest among Israel will be as strong as David. And there will be this outpouring, verse 13. And on that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sins and their uncleanliness. This is what, this is our inheritance. We get to bear this to Christ. We get this Christ, we get to bear him to the world. We, we, we do it by learning to, to deny our self-centeredness and by picking up our cross and by going forward with them. Now, if you notice that in the readings, there is this underlying idea of judgment for those who will ultimately reject. Ours is not to bring about that judgment. Ours is to bear Christ to them that some might receive him and know that same mercy that same cleansing, that same spirit of healing that we have experienced. This is, this is our job. This is our privilege. Elect for responsibility to bring Christ to the world to let a hurting and hopeless world know that God loves them, that he cared so much he sent his son into the world to die for them, that they might know him, that he who is rejected understands when we're rejected, and that he's going to sustain them and uphold them and empower them to stand in the day of trial. And he's going to pour his spirit out on them. That's it. What, what, a, what, a, what a joy, what a, what a privilege to bear Christ to the world. Now, how do we do that? I tell you what makes it hard. All of our creature comforts. All the ways that we can isolate ourselves from the hurting and the pain of life out there but that's the call of Christ take up our cross deny ourselves trust his spirit to go with us and bear Christ to the world in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Lord make it so in us we pray Amen